Hey guys, welcome to Calvary HSM. We are a place where we want to make disciples who live and love like Jesus. So we hope you enjoy this podcast. I like that. Good evening, my friends. How are y'all doing tonight? Woo! <laughs> that was pitiful. I'm going to try again. Good evening, my friends. How are y'all doing tonight? There we go. We're more alive. Okay, I need to know, what celebs are we having over for Thanksgiving? Malachi. <laughs> Sounds like lovely company. I'll give you that. Who else? I heard a lot of Taylor Swifts. Any Swifties in the house? <laughs> Yo. Boo. Wow. The crowd is divided on T-Swift. All right, who, who are you having for Thanksgiving? I don't think you understand the prompt. You have to choose a celebrity to bring a Thanksgiving. I heard someone say Tom Holland. That would be a good one. Make him do a backflip. Make him do another one. He'd probably bring Zendaya. Just saying. Ryan Reynolds. Yeah. <laughs> Ryan Reynolds. He's probably bringing Blake Lively with him. Great, great house guests. Great house guests. Anyone else? <laughs> this morning we asked that question and I turned to someone. I was like, what celeb would you have come to Thanksgiving? He goes, my mom. I go, is your mom famous? He goes, she's famous to me. I was like, oh, buddy. Um, anywho, uh, if you don't know me, my name is Drew Walton. I'm the associate high school pastor here at HSM. I love my life. I love you guys so much. And so it's great to be able to spend time with you, uh, just investing in your lives, being along for the journey, celebrating the good stuff and uh, walking through the challenges with you. I love it. Um, and um, as you probably ascertained from the prompt and from the uh, slide behind me, Thanksgiving is fast approaching. Um, I love Thanksgiving. Anybody love Thanksgiving? I know that people are like mixed. Not everybody loves it. I love it. What's the verdict on Thanksgiving food? You guys like it? Some people are like, I can skip the whole meal. Raise your hand if you just don't care for anything on the Thanksgiving table. Really? Ham? Is ham? Raise your hand if ham is part of your Thanksgiving tradition. Really? I gotta talk to my family. I feel like I like the turkey. If it's not dry, a good turkey with some gravy, like a crispy skin. Come on. Oven roast it. Nice and slow. You got he, Trey asked how I cook my turkey. You got to brine the turkey for a few hours beforehand. And then nice and slow and even, never open the oven door. That one's for free. Uh, what about, do you guys love, anybody who loves the Thanksgiving food? Anybody in on it? What, shout out the best food on the table. What is it? Yams. With the marshmallows? Like we like sweet yams? Respect. Someone say ribs? Prime rib? That was JD. I, I know that voice. Was that you, JD? Do you have prime rib on Thanksgiving? Turkey is not the worst, but prime rib is great. So it can come to my party too. What about, any, you guys in on stuffing? Is stuffing good? Oh my word. I used to be like you all who booed stuffing. I thought like that's disgusting brown mush and I want nothing to do with it. Um, and then I learned how to make it and I was like, oh, it's all my favorite friends in one dish. And now I love stuffing. So there we go. Anyways, if you couldn't tell, I love Thanksgiving. I think it's like the Super Bowl for food, which means it's a holiday for me. And so maybe you're like me, maybe you get enthusiastic about 
Thanksgiving, maybe you've got traditions in your family uh, or your chosen family. Maybe you're like the, I'm in the kitchen cooking the dishes with everybody. Anybody, any like cooks, aspiring chefs in the room? Yeah, maybe you're like in there, you're basting the turkey, you're making the gravy, you're doing the corn casserole or the prime rib, right? Like maybe you're chef or sous chef. Uh, maybe you love Thanksgiving because you get to see those relatives that you don't get to see very often, those cousins, that aunt, that uncle, that grandparent, uh, just like the people that you love and you finally get to be together and spend that quality time. Uh, maybe it's uh, friends. Maybe you're like extended family isn't local. And so you have like family friends who are more like family than friends, right? It's like my uncle, right? But you're, you don't have any blood that's in the same. Uh, like maybe it's like you get together with those friends that are more like family and that's great. Maybe you're like a watch football or a play football family. Anybody do like turkey bowl? Like you go out for a big football game? No. Yeah, you play football. I like it. I like it. Maybe any, any like morning 5K families in the house? Like anybody getting up and doing fitness? <laughs> if anybody in the room was in that 5K club, they quickly decided not to share that information. Everyone's like, boo, fitness. I mean, I get it. I love uh, exercise, but not on Thanksgiving. That's not the day for that. But if you do, we love you. Uh, maybe that's you. Maybe you're just like, bring on the food coma. Like nothing sounds better than just eating everything and then zonking out for a few hours. Just like the deep hit of tryptophan. You know what we're talking about? Christmas. Yeah, maybe for you, Thanksgiving is like, and we're on to Christmas, right? It's like as soon as dinner's over and the nap has passed, it's like, let's get the tree going. Let's throw on some Christmas music. What's like the first Christmas song where you're like, okay, it's now the Christmas season. Last Christmas. Oh. Wait, is that a movie or a song? Is that a movie or a song? That's, are you talking about the movie or the song? There's two, right? There's both? No? All right. Any other favorite, like, any like, for real, like we defrost Mariah Carey and she starts singing and that's when you know that it's time. Any like classics? Anybody on the like Frank Sinatra or Nat King Cole? Right? You, you say that's just for adults? Oh, silver and gold. <laughs> I love the holidays, guys. And it's fast approaching, right? We're weeks away from Thanksgiving and then just around the corner to Christmas and the New Year's and all of the good stuff. So maybe for you, like Thanksgiving is this joyful experience. It kind of like gets things going. Like it's just all good. And you kind of have that like warm glow of the holidays and family and friends and good food. And at the same time, there's probably people in the room who don't feel any of those things about the day. Or, or maybe like this year is the first year you're not feeling those things about the day, right? And like maybe for you, like Thanksgiving, comes with a level of dread. Maybe it's as simple as like, all the food is gross to me. I'd rather have Chinese takeout, right? Uh, I'm looking at you smalls, wherever you are in the room. Smalls, smalls doesn't, you don't like Thanksgiving food. <laughs> hey, but we'll pray for you. We love you. Um, but maybe for you, Thanksgiving means that you're gonna be with family and that's not something you look forward to, right? Like maybe it's a complex thing. Maybe it means you're gonna see that relative that you haven't seen for a while. Maybe there's like drama between like your parents and their siblings. Maybe there's some drama between you and a family member. Maybe uh, Thanksgiving means the absence of someone that you wish was there. Uh, maybe for the first time or maybe um, for a prolonged time or maybe Thanksgiving is a reminder that someone wasn't ever there for you in the way that they should have been. Um, maybe uh, Thanksgiving is a time where that dish won't be there because the person who used to make it is gone, right? Like maybe like grandma passed away and it's like she always made 
the whatever, the broccoli casserole, right? And it's like grandma's broccoli cat. Do you say grandmas always make the broccoli casserole? It's gross. Don't bother with it. But if grandma made it, go for it. It's like broccoli with like crushed crackers on top and it's creamy. I'm not into it. But anyways, like maybe like grandma's not with us and grandma always made the broccoli casserole or the stuffing or the thing. And it's like, that's going to be a reminder. And like Thanksgiving is complicated, right? Like maybe there are traditions that you're not able to repeat. Maybe you're newer to the area and you've had to relocate. And that means that you don't get to spend Thanksgiving this year with the people you're used to spending it with. And it's going to look different and it's going to be hard. And maybe you're worried about it or maybe it has a weightiness to it. Um, And maybe for you, it's like, where do I find the peace in the midst of the holidays, right? Like sometimes holidays are great, um, but the thing about holidays is uh, when they're great, they're great. And sometimes when things aren't going great, it feels like a mirror that just kind of like reflects and magnifies how not great things are going. And holidays can be difficult, right? And just like life can be difficult, right? Like sometimes it's just hard to find peace in the midst of what you're going through. Does anybody ever struggle to find peace? Like real talk, can we be honest? Yeah, I see so everybody, I wish you could see what I see because like most of the room was like, I don't wanna show everybody, but me. (laughs) It was like all of you discreetly. Um, Peace can be an elusive thing at times, right? Like when it's with you, when you feel it, it's the best thing in the world. But sometimes you're in situations where you're like, gosh, how do I get a hold of peace? Like, where is it? It just feels like my life is this churn. It feels like it's chaos. It feels like it's swirling around me and I feel like an anxiety rising in me. Um, And what do I do? Like, how do I find it? How do I get that peace in my life, right? And sometimes holidays can magnify that and sometimes it doesn't even have anything to do with the holiday. Sometimes that's just our day-to-day life. And so here's the deal is we want to ask the question tonight, what do we do when we're struggling for peace? When it feels like a slugfest, when life just feels like it's punching us in the gut and it's like, how do I find peace? Where do I go? What do I do? What are the practices that I can take into my life to get some of this peace? And and really, ultimately, what does the Bible have to say about peace? Because God is peace himself, right? Like when we come into relationship with God the Father, uh, with Jesus the Son, and with the Holy Spirit, like we encounter peace, but like how do we do that practically? Like what does that look like for me to be in a crisis and step into peace? How do I take hold of it or receive it from God? And so that's the question that we want to ask tonight. That's what we want to look at tonight. Um, We're going to dive into the book of Philippians. But before we do that, I would love to just pray and invite the Lord to do what he wants to do tonight. Is that cool? Sick. Let's do it. Pray with me. Lord, thank you so much for each and every person in this room right now. Um, Thank you for everybody watching this online, even if it's like after the fact, if they like found this video a year from now. God, just thank you for each person um, that you've gathered here for this. And so, Lord, we're coming with the question of what do we do when peace is elusive? Um, We know that you're generous. We know that you love us, that you want us to have peace, that you want to withhold from us no good thing, that you are um, the one who in your fullness, you fill everything in every way. And so God, when we feel depleted, when we feel empty, how do we come to you and receive peace? God, would your word speak to us tonight? Would it rattle in our hearts and sing in our minds? And God, would you be in this room? So Lord, we love you and we thank you in advance and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. 
I'm glad you guys are here. Okay, so we're diving into the book of Philippians. Uh, Philippians is a book in the New Testament. If you're kind of newer to scripture, if you're newer to church world, if you're just investigating. So you've got Old Testament, New Testament, right? Uh, New Testament is everything that comes after the life, death, resurrection of Jesus Christ, right? Like that's the watershed moment where the history of not just the world, but the history of the universe pivots, where it changes, right? Like where we have this contentious, we have this enemy relationship with God by our own brokenness, brokenness that we inherited and brokenness that we perpetuate ourselves, right? We have this problem, Uh, but God loves us. We talked about this a few weeks ago and knows that we can't solve our problem, that our own religion even can't solve the problem. Like we can't qualify ourselves. I can't do enough good things to outweigh the bad things. Like it just doesn't work that way. And so God in his love wanting us to be reconciled to him came and did it for us, right? Like he lived a perfect life. He took on flesh. He was executed. He died like life himself died. Uh, Death is the penalty of sin, but he never sinned. So he took on the penalty for you and for me. He died, but because he is life, he killed death and he came back to life. And because of that, we have the hope of the resurrection too, right? Like the scriptures say, if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. That's it. That's, that's the only qualifying thing. Now the rest of the equation, as the believers in the room know, like we're still on this journey towards reconstructing holiness in our life. And that's something that God actively participates in us. But for, to have a relationship with God, it's as simple as that. It's just, who do you say Jesus is? Is he Lord? And do you believe in the resurrection? That's it. I just went on a tangent, but it's important to say. So the So Philippians, the New Testament, is everything that we have from the scriptures coming after that amazing moment, after that like detonation of God's love in the human story that has ripple effects forwards and backwards and affects our lives today. So we're stepping into this in the New Testament. It's the writing of a guy named Paul. Now, if you don't know who Paul is, Paul was once named Saul. Oftentimes when people encounter the real living God, they transform. And oftentimes in scripture, even their name changes. And so he was Saul, became Paul. But here's what you need to know about him before he knew Jesus. He hated Jesus and he hated Christians, right? Like he was the religious guy. He was the guy like, I can earn it. I'll do better than everybody else. I will cross every T. I will dot every I. I will do everything I can to attain perfection. And he hated the idea of a gospel, of a free grace from a loving God. And so he actually set about making his life mission to hunt down believers, uh, to hunt down Christians and make sure that they were executed. That's how much he hated this idea of like, grace can't be free. Like you gotta earn it. And I've been working harder than anybody else. And so I should be top dog. That was Saul's heart until he met Jesus, right? We we're told that he's traveling from city to city and that Jesus encounters him on the road, that it is a powerful uh, way that Jesus shows up, that there's a blinding light, that it knocks Saul off his horse, that it changes Saul to his very core and that Jesus introduces himself. He steps into Saul's story and introduces himself and basically says like, this is who I am. I love you and I want you. Even though you persecuted me, even though you hated me and hated my followers, I love you, I want you. And it changed his life dramatically. And so Saul becomes Paul and spends the rest of his days on earth going around trying to encourage believers, trying to share the good news of the gospel um, and trying to help the early church build and grow. That's what he does. He travels town to town to the collections of believers all around the area, and he tries to encourage people. And as you can imagine, he was someone who opposed the early church and then became the leader of it. Um, And so he faced a good amount of opposition, 
in his life. There were people who hated him. They hated the idea of grace. They would beat him. They would give him bum trials. They would arrest him. He would be released. It would happen again. He was shipped, like all of these things. Um, He had a rough go of it, but a joyful go of it. And so when we're getting the book of Philippians, it's a letter that Paul, this man whose life has been transformed to the point that he dedicates the rest of his life to sharing this good news with the people around him. Paul is writing this letter to the church in Philippi. That's why it's called Philippians, because the people are Philippians. So basically, it's his letter to the Philippians, and he's writing this letter to them from prison. So this is a time in his life where he is down on his luck, where he is facing obstacles, where he's had everything ripped away from him, where he has none of the comforts of life. He has none of his own resources. He doesn't have his friends around. He can't easily, he can't hop on Snapchat and see what's going on. He's locked in a cell. He's cut off. He's isolated. He's not well-fed. He's not comfortable. He's in a tough situation. And he's writing this letter to his friends at the church in Philippi um, to encourage them and to respond to them, He's probably writing from a prison in Rome or in Ephesus. Remember, this is real history. This is a real place. And he's writing this letter about 62 years after the resurrection of Jesus. That's where we jump in. And we're jumping into Philippians tonight in chapter four. It's only four chapters of a book. So it's the end of his letter. It's his concluding thoughts. And here's what he has to say to his friends in Philippi in the midst of this trial in life, in the midst of discomfort, of having everything ripped away from him, of having none of the things that would make life enjoyable, quote unquote. And here's what he says to his friends in the book of Philippians in chapter four, starting in verse 10. He says this, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you, remember his friends in Philippi, at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned for me, but you had no opportunity to show it. So he's basically responding to them. Remember, they're cut off. They can't reach him. But finally, they get to this place where they're able to send him basically like a care package. They're able to send him letters and some resources, some little comforts to help him while he's in prison. So they get to him, and he's basically writing this thank you note. He's writing a note expressing his love to them, um, his appreciation for them, and thanking them. And he's saying, I'm rejoicing greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern concerned for me. Indeed, you were already concerned. He's like, I know that the love was there and you couldn't, you just like couldn't get to me. Um, But I'm so glad that you finally had the opportunity to show me this. Like, I feel so built up. I feel so encouraged by this. So I rejoice in the Lord. And he goes on to say this. He goes, I'm not saying this because I'm in need. Now, remember the context that he's in, we would look at it and we would say, this dude's in huge need. But for him, he's got this different perspective. And he's saying, I'm not saying this because I need any more from you. I'm not saying this because I'm in lack. I'm not saying this because like, I'm in like, a deep existential struggle or suffering. Like, that's not why I'm saying this. I'm not saying um, this because I'm in need. For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have plenty. And I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So he's writing this letter. He's like, I got your care package. It meant the world to me. And I, I appreciate it. I know the love is there. And at the same time, I need you to know that I don't feel like I'm in a bad spot right now. Like I have figured out the secret of contentment. 
right? Like I, I've done the like, I'm rich and I have everything going for me. I've done the I'm poor and I don't know how I'm gonna make rent or get my next meal. I've done both. I've figured out how to live in both circumstances, how to navigate both worlds. And I need you to know and not be discouraged by my situation because I'm good. Like I'm doing okay, actually. And he says, I've learned the secret of being content in any situation. And if I can be honest with you guys, I used to read this scripture and be frustrated by it because it felt like he skipped over the part where he explained what the secret was to me. I don't know if anyone's ever read this before or even maybe you just heard it right now. And you're like, but what about the explanation? He said he's learned the secret of being content. And then he just kind of jumps over to like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I was always a very like practical, like tell me how to, tell me how. <laughs> like what are the three steps to unlock contentment in my life. And I didn't realize until I was older that he's not saying that the secret is how to be content. What he's saying is the secret is to be content. Like that's the secret of how he's able to walk in both worlds, how he's able to navigate either situation is he's cultivated a practice of contentment in his life. And he invites us into doing the same. The secret is contentment. Maybe you've heard this phrase before. Gratitude turns what you have into enough. Anyone ever heard that? Gratitude turns what you have into enough. Now, what that doesn't mean is if I have negative money in my bank account, I'm just going to go be grateful for a little bit and come back and it will have like magically filled up and I'll have all the money. But what it does mean is there's this perspective shift that actually is more than just like an intellectual trick. It helps us to open our eyes and see the reality of the situation that we're in. Gratitude sometimes unlocks the ability to see things clearly in difficult situations and practicing gratitude in our lives is like kind of doing an inventory checklist of what's gone or is going right in our lives, right? Like when things are challenging, when you're in struggle, when you're grasping for peace and not finding it, when your life feels like chaos, when the anxiety is bubbling up, what usually starts to happen? It snowballs, right? And it feels like, it, like this area of my life is going wrong, but it starts to snowball and feel like every area of my life is going wrong. It starts to feel like everything, every good thing is being withheld from me. My life is collapsing. And now granted, there are sliding scales of difficulty and struggle. Some of you have faced unthinkable things. Some of you have gone through huge struggles, but the ability to practice gratitude, even in giant struggles, actually helps us to refocus and see the reality of the situation that we're in, rather than make up a story that we tell ourselves. And so here's the deal. Paul's going to go on, and we're going to jump into the scriptures again, with kind of his pro tips of how we practice a life of gratitude, especially in struggles. And so what he's going to do, or actually what we're going to do, is we're actually going to jump a little earlier in the text. So we jumped in on verse 10. We're going to jump earlier to verse 4 and work back to where we started. And so here are Paul's pro tips for how to live a life of gratitude that enables you to walk through difficult circumstances and through blessings the same way, either way. And so here's Paul's advice to his friends in Philippi and his, to his friends here in this room right now. He says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. And so here's a little pro tip for me to you guys for when you read the Bible in the rest of your life. When the Bible repeats itself, regardless of who like the human author is, when the Bible repeats itself, that's basically like going into the Word doc, 
highlighting it, underlining it, italicizing it, bolding it, right? It's when it's something's repeated, whether it's just repeated once or multiple times, it's like draw your attention to this thing. This one's important. And so when Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always, let me reiterate, rejoice in the Lord. It's saying that one's a big deal. This is important. And so I want to talk about what we mean when we say rejoice in the Lord, because words matter in life, and they certainly matter in the scripture. And so when we talk about rejoice, like the idea of rejoicing, usually we think rejoicing, we just think like celebrating or like yelling, right? Like, woohoo, rejoice. Like you won the game and then you like cheer and they throw you on the shoulders and do the Gatorade thing. And it's like, we rejoice, right? But if you think about what the word rejoice actually is, there's kind of two words going on there, right? Re, right? Which means again, right? Like repeat. That's the beginning of it. And joy, which is, um, well, you know, joy, right? Like to experience joy. It's from a French word, joyeuse. Um, rejoice means to actively joy again, right? So to refocus our attention on what's going on or what has already happened that brought us joy, to recall that joy. That's what it's saying. And so when he says rejoice in the Lord, what he's saying is you might be in the midst of an uncertain circumstance right now. And your best first move is to rejoice in the Lord, to go back to what you have experienced personally from the Lord, what your friends and your family and community have experienced from the Lord, what the promises of scripture are to return to that. Like the first thing you can do is remind yourself who God is. Rejoice in the Lord. When you're in a difficulty, when you're in a trial, when you're in struggle, what we do is we rejoice. We joy again in the Lord. We go back to the times in our life where he blessed us. We go back to the times where his grace shined on us. We go back to the times where we didn't know what was going to happen and he turned things in our favor. We go back to the time where we were we felt like we had the world ripped out from under our feet and he showed up and he cared for us or he brought that person or he comforted us or opened a door that we couldn't open for ourselves, right? We rejoice in the Lord. We do it over and over again. When you're in struggle, you rejoice in the Lord. He goes on to say, let your gentleness be evident to all. So gentleness is an important part of the equation, which is an interesting thing, but go with me here. I used to not like the word gentleness, I'll be honest. Like when someone was like, be gentle, I thought what they were saying was like, be weak, <laughs> right? Like be a, a lily, <laughs> be like trampled over. Like that's what I thought when I heard be gentle, but that's actually not what gentle is, right? Gentleness is when you are able to take whatever strength you have and harness it under control, right? So imagine it with me, if you will, that I have a baby on stage and I hand it to you right? You need to be gentle with that baby. You being soft and tender with that baby, being careful, being attentive, moving deliberately and carefully, making sure its neck is supported. That doesn't mean you're weak, right? That actually means that you've harnessed your strength and got it under control so you can be gentle in a context that needs gentleness. That's what gentle means. And so what he's saying here is when you're in crisis, when anxiety comes knocking on your door, when difficulties come your way, your impulse is to not be gentle, right? And this is true. We've experienced this, right? Like when you're in crisis mode, we start clawing for any sort of stability that we can. And we usually make more problems for ourselves, 
right? Like when you feel like you're under attack, when you feel threatened by a circumstance or a situation, our default setting is I'm just going to go into fix mode and I'm not going to do it thoughtfully. I'm just going to start making moves. And oftentimes what happens is I'll clunk over here and actually create a new problem. And now I have to solve the original problem and the new one. And so I'll do something else reactionary and then I'll create another problem, right? And it's like somebody is antagonistic towards you and you come out swinging and you say something you shouldn't have and it gets worse, right? Or you don't know how you're going to provide for yourself. And so you make a dumb decision to try to get things stable again, and it makes things more unstable. What Paul's saying, what the scripture is inviting us to is when your life starts to feel chaotic, the best thing that you can do is slow down. Bring the volume down on the situation. Like practice gentleness in the situation. It is important to bring the atmosphere down, to bring the temperature down so that you can focus in, see things clearly, and make the next right deliberate move. And oftentimes when we're in crisis, we don't do that. We do the like scared cat thing where we just start clawing at whatever is around us, whether it's the right thing or the wrong thing. And scripture is going to say, no, no, no. The most wise thing you can do in that situation is first rejoice. Go back to who is God? How has he showed up? What do you know of his nature and his heart for you? And the next thing you do is you get gentle. You slow down, you get still, you open your eyes, you pray, you seek counsel, you try to see things clearly in that situation. We want to respond, not react, right? Like when crisis comes our way, we usually get reactive. We just try to make stuff happen in the hope that something will catch and solve the problem. And what we need to do is slow down so that we can see things clearly and respond to them. And so he says, rejoice in the Lord. Again, I'll say it, rejoice. And then he says, let your gentleness be evident to everyone. So not just be gentle, but be gentle in a way that people take notice. And not like in a performative way of like, look how gentle I am. But in a way where people would look at you and say, wow, if I was going through that situation, I feel like I would be a cyclone of weird choices and fear and emotion and all that stuff. And you look like you're taking a different approach. You're being really careful about what you do. You're thinking about the thoughts you allow. You're thinking about the actions you take. You're slowing things down. You're staying calm. Like, let your gentleness be evident to all because the Lord is near. Do you know that you have access to the most powerful being that ever was or ever will be and that his agenda is to bless you and help you? That's pretty wild. Right? And I can tell you, I've had some doozies of crises in my life. But the times where I've been able to put this in practice, maybe not perfectly, but come close to it, he has always showed up in ways that I did not expect, and he has always provided help. And the more that I put that in his hands, and the more that I trust him, and then he shows up, the easier it gets to trust him the next time. And so what he's saying is, rejoice in the Lord. Be gentle to the point that people notice, but the reason you can do that and trust it is because the Lord is near. Because when you do that, when you stay calm, when you look alive and search for God, he'll show up and he'll help you. It's who he is. It's what he does. And you'll build a library of experiences in your own life that you can draw on that when the next crisis comes, you're like, okay, this is a big deal. This is important. I am nervous for all the logical reasons, but I know who God is and he's always had my back in the past. So I'm going to sit tight and I'm going to stay with this and I'm going to keep moving forward one step at a time at the appropriate rhythm, right? Because the Lord is near. And so he goes on to say, 
Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. I would guess everyone in the room has experienced the feeling of anxiety at some point in their life. Now, there's situational anxiety, right? Like, sometimes it'll be like a quick, like, I feel really anxious about this thing. Sometimes it's even a thing you're excited about. It's like, gosh, I feel like an anxiety in me. And it's like, my body's getting me ready for this, like, crazy thing. Like, I'm working up the courage to talk to that person, or I got to do a thing. And sometimes it's a negative experience, and the anxiety just comes. It's a natural thing. Some of us live with chronic anxiety, right? Like, some of us have um, just battled anxiety for our lives, um, and it is the battle of your life. And so, I just want to be clear. When we talk about um, the scripture saying, do not be anxious, what it's not saying is, if you ever have an anxious thought, if you ever feel anxious, something's gone wrong, and you just need to muscle up, toughen up, and stop feeling that way. That's not what the scriptures are saying. That's not what we're talking about. And so if you read that and you're like, well, yeah, easy to say, but I've been trying to not be anxious and it's been a slugfest, right? Uh, Just go with me here. God created you with emotions, every single one of them, the ones that you enjoy having and the ones that you don't enjoy having. And those emotions are tools to help you navigate the world, right? And now sometimes our emotions give us good data and sometimes they get really worked up and give us bad data and we need to like workshop it with a friend or a trusted counselor or things like that. But your emotions are not the enemy, right? Um, But when this says, do not be anxious about anything, what I think the heart of that is, is don't just forfeit to anxiety, Don't just say, you know what, like everything's going to go terrible and it's probably not going to work out and I'm just going to embrace the lifestyle of anxiety. I'm going to stop trying. I'm going to let those thoughts snowball, right? Because when you have an anxious thought, when I have an anxious thought, usually it starts small and then it builds and the more we focus on it, the bigger it gets and then the bigger it gets and then the more we look at it and then we start to panic and it's overwhelming, right? Like it grows and it grows and it grows as we put our attention into it, as we step into that anxiety, as we obsess over those anxious thoughts, right? I think that's what it's saying is don't just relegate yourself to being trapped in it. Don't give up the fight. Like keep going. And here's how the Bible is going to tell us to fight that good fight. It says, don't just be anxious. Don't just like step into that and build your house in anxiety. Maybe pitch a tent there, but you got to move past it. You got to work through it, right? But don't build your house in anxiety. You were never meant to live there forever, right? And so he's saying, don't just be anxious about anything. But in every situation, he's going to give you a few points. He's going to say, by prayer and petition, right? So in other words, when you're in a difficult situation, if you're not talking to God, you're not going in the right direction. In every situation, by prayer, by talking to God about the situation, and petition, by asking God for what you need. Because he cares about you. He wants to give you what you need. Now, let me be clear. God is not obligated to give you everything you want, right? Like sometimes I want things and I ask God for them and he's like, that actually would be terrible for you if I gave that to you. So no, and I'm mad in the moment and then years later I'm like, thank you so much for not giving me that thing, right? God is not obligated to give you everything you want, but his agenda is always to give you everything you need. And so the scriptures are gonna say, when you're in crisis, when you can't find peace, when you're in anxiety, don't just stay there, go to God. Talk to him, ask for what you need, and it's gonna say something interesting here. It's gonna say, and with thanksgiving, present your request. 
with thanksgiving, present your request. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. With thanksgiving. That's a critical part of this whole equation, that when you're in crisis, you go to God, you pray, you petition, but you practice, you discipline yourself toward thanksgiving. That's an essential part of this equation. And here's why. Because actually, this is interesting, I'll give you some stats in a second, but they've found recently that you cannot experience gratitude and anxiety at the same time. Your brain has to prioritize one or the other. Um, you just can't. And so when you practice thanksgiving, either for what's going on in your life right now or what God has done in the past, it refocuses your brain and it's like the mist starts to dissipate and you can see things clearly again, right? When you're in this narrative of like everything's bad and I'm in constant danger and nothing will work out, what you have to do is choose to practice gratitude and start going through the things that are going right in your life. Do you know what? This situation is a disaster. It's a dumpster fire, but I've got these five friends and those relationships are going great. I have food on my table. I, even like common graces, like I feel the warmth of the sun on my skin. And right now, nothing is happening in this moment that is threatening or endangering me, right? And so I'm thankful for that. I'm worried about the future. I'm worried about what comes next. But actually right now, I can be thankful because right now I'm okay, right? Like when we practice gratitude, what it starts to do is it starts to calm us down from this narrative we're telling ourselves, so that we can start to see clearly what is actually going on, where the real dangers are, where the real decisions are that we have to make, and where the ones are that are invented in our minds. And so it says, don't be anxious. In every situation, take those thoughts captive, make them obedient to Christ by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Start practicing gratitude to God for the things that he has done, the ways he has showed up, the good things he has brought into your life, the things that are going well right now. And it says, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will do two things. So first, the peace of God is unlike our peace. It says it transcends understanding. In other words, when God's peace enters the room, when God's peace shows up in your life, it shows up in ways that are confusing to people outside of the situation, right? It, it surpasses understanding. It might even be confusing to you, where it's like, this is a circumstance where I probably should be freaking out, and I'm not freaking out right now. Like, yeah, I know logically that I need to be attentive to this circumstance, but I feel calm, and focused, like I feel even keeled, I feel level, right? Like the peace of God, which transcends understanding, shows up and it does two things. It guards your heart and it guards your mind in Christ Jesus. In other words, when the peace of God shows up, it shows up in your experience and it guards your heart, which is not, I don't think it's talking like literally about like it guards your blood flow in your body, like maybe. But I think this is talking about when we talk about the heart, we're talking about the core of who you are. We're talking about the seat of your deepest feelings, right? When it says that the peace of God will show up and be a guardian to your heart, basically it gives us this picture of the God showing up like a bouncer for your heart right? Like if you've ever seen a bouncer outside of a club, the bouncer gets the say of who enters and who has to keep on walking, right? And so when it says the peace of God will guard your heart, what it's saying is God himself will show up and determine which emotions are welcome to come in and take up residence and which ones can pass by and keep on going, 
right? Which can stay and which must go. And it also says that it will guard your minds. In other words, the seat of your ability to think, to perceive, to see things clearly. That God himself will show up like a bouncer and start to determine which thoughts are welcome to come in and take up residence in your mind and which ones have to go, right? Like we use this language today of intrusive thoughts. Anyone ever had an intrusive thought where it's like, I don't want that thought, I don't welcome that thought, but it's inserted itself into my brain and I'm having trouble battling this thought and getting it out. This is what this is talking about, is that the peace of God, when you do this, when you practice, uh, when you practice stepping outside of just living in anxiety, when you pray, when you petition, and you practice thanksgiving to God, that the peace of God will come and that he will police the thoughts that are allowed to take up residence in your mind and stay and take root, and which ones have to go on their way. That's what it's saying. And so let me just recap what I would like to call Paul's pro tips for peace. When we're in crisis, rejoice always. Be quick to celebrate the good things going on in your life or the good things in the past. Like, don't ignore the bad things, but draw your attention to the good things, to the blessings. The problems will still be there, but usually what the problems do is they suffocate out the good things so you can't see them anymore, and you start operating blindly like you're flying in fog. So we rejoice. Be gentle. Right, like take your strength, your energy, you're like, I gotta do something, I gotta fix it, momentum, and get it under control so you can take thoughtful and deliberate action so that you can slow down and seek counsel, that you can talk to people you trust, that you can slow down and pray for wisdom, that you can slow down and read the Bible and see what the next right thing is. We respond, we don't react. And finally, don't embrace the lifestyle of anxiety. Talk to God, give thanks. I said I was going to give you some science stats. Here's what the science is saying most recently about gratitude. This is a study from UC Davis Health. It says this, gratitude helps to reduce stress hormones in the body. According to research presented by UC Davis Health, gratitude is related to a 23% lower level of cortisol the hormone that creates stress in the body. So when we talk about gratitude, sometimes we're like, oh yeah, that's kind of woo woo, whatever. No, like actually like the science is supporting what the truth of scripture has told us from the beginning, right? That it actually, there is a, even a chemical level that it affects our body. Gratitude blocks toxic emotions such as resentment, envy, depression, and regret. Uh, another study says this, research, research has shown that consciously practicing gratitude can, re, uh, can reduce feelings of stress and anxiety. In fact, studies have found that a single act of thoughtful gratitude produces an immediate 10% increase in happiness and a 35% reduction in depressive symptoms. Gratitude is actually your secret weapon when you're in crisis, but you have to pick it up and practice it. Paul's gonna conclude, and I'll, I'll invite the band up uh, as, as I kinda start to settle down, but Paul's gonna conclude his thinking with a few more thoughts. So he said all this, he's given his pro tips on how do we approach God when we need peace? How do we navigate these difficult situations? And here's his concluding thoughts. He says this, finally, brothers and sisters, He's going to tell you where to put your focus when you're in those situations. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, 
put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. So let me recap because he literally gives a checklist of the things to put your mental energy towards. And usually when we're in crisis, when we're feeling threatened, when we're feeling overwhelmed, we start to put all of our mental energy into what's going wrong, into what we're afraid of, into the story of the worst case scenario outcome. And what Paul, what scripture and what God is going to tell you to put your mental energy onto is this checklist. Put your mental energy onto what you know is true right? And so some of that is go back to scripture and look for the truth of scripture. And some of that is I'm going to look at my situation and I'm going to strip it down to what I can say are verifiable facts in this situation. We're actually designed when we have um, incongruent data points of information in our life, you're designed, you're programmed to create a story to weave them together. And sometimes that story is correct, but most of the time that story is wrong. And your brain will lie to you to try to make sense of a circumstance. And so what scripture is going to point you back to is go back to the things that you know are facts and hold loosely the story that you've woven it together with. Focus your mental energy on what is true over the story in your head. He's going to say, focus on whatever is noble, right? Like whatever would be an admirable, a worthy response in the situation. Sometimes we get into a situation and we start thinking in a really selfish way of like, I'm going to look out for number one. I'm going to take care of me first. And we start viewing everybody as an obstacle or an antagonist. And we start justifying hypothetical behaviors in our life of what we would have to do to get through this situation. And the scripture is going to say, put that down and focus your mental energy on what would be the noble way to navigate this situation. Focus on what is going right in your life over what is going wrong. You can acknowledge what's going wrong. You can be attentive, but put your mental energy onto the things that are going right. Focus on what is pure. Now, this is an interesting one because I think oftentimes it's a really common response from people. I think um, probably everybody in the room has done this at some point. Um, When we're in a difficult situation and we want to hit the eject button on it, oftentimes we'll choose behaviors that are numbing behaviors um, that can look like sex, that can look like substances, that can look like getting attention, that can look like fame seeking, right? Like, and those are things that people have been doing since the beginning of time. So if you're sitting there and you're like, oh, he just read me my mail. Uh, Well, yeah, we know because that's what people do. That's what we do. We try to numb the situation with things that are bad for us because it gives us something in the short term. Focus on what's pure, right? We go through hard things and sometimes it's tempting to numb them. But when the problem goes away, when the problem is resolved, those numbing agents get a hook in us and it's hard to let them go. And maybe you're sitting here and you're battling that right now in some way, shape or form. Paul's gonna tell us and the scripture's gonna tell us, put our energy on what is pure. He's gonna go on and say, whatever is lovely over what you're unsatisfied with. Don't miss the good things, the beautiful things. Don't miss the joy that's still here in the world for you. Whatever is admirable over what you would have to stoop to do in secret, right? Whatever is excellent or praiseworthy. He's gonna tell us, put your mental energy on these things. It will help you navigate your circumstances because gratitude is the fuel for endurance. When you are trying to muster the strength to get up and keep going and you feel beaten down and you feel discouraged and you feel weary, gratitude is like gasoline in your tank. 
Practice gratitude. And my question for you is, what kind of fuel are you using in your life? Do you practice gratitude when things are not going your way? Do you let that fuel you or do you let it be anger or numbing or fear or what other people think? I would encourage you, the journey will be so much better if you let gratitude be the fuel. And so here's what I want to do. I want to pray over you. I want to invite God to be doing business with us. We're going to turn our attention to him in worship with our song. If you want to talk to me, if you want to talk to any of our leaders, if you want to talk to a friend in the room, I would encourage you to do that before you leave here tonight. The prayer wall will be open. Um, But let me pray for you. Lord, thank you that you are a good God. You are a powerful God. You never take your hand off the wheel. You don't forget us or overlook us. You don't get distracted. God, you have time for us, and you want good things for us. You want to supply everything that we need, and we can find it in you. And so, God, when we navigate difficulties, would you help us to fix our eyes on you, to rejoice in you, to pray to you, to petition you for what we need, to be thankful for the things that have gone and are going right in our life, and God, would we encounter your peace. God, I pray for each young man and each young woman in this room, God, that they would experience the peace that's talked about in Scripture, that it wouldn't just be um, an idea that's in a book that gets closed and goes back on a shelf after leaving here tonight. God, would they encounter that actual peace when they put these things into practice? Lord, would you show up and give them peace that is supernatural, that defies explanation and understanding, that shows up where it doesn't make sense for it to be? And God, would you police the the emotions that are allowed to stay in their heart and take a president? Would you police the thoughts that are allowed to come in and take a residence in their mind? Would you protect their thoughts and their hearts, God? Would they encounter that peace? And so, Lord, we pray that you would enter this room in a fresh way, that your spirit would fall fresh. God, we love you and we thank you and we turn our attention to you. We turn our affection to you in worship. We pray it in Jesus' magnificent name. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us here on the Calvary HSM podcast. We would love if you could connect with us on social media using the handle at Calvary HSM 805 on Instagram or going to our website, calvarywestlake.org slash HSM. We always have fun things going on and we want you to be a part.